Please keep your Bibles open in Matthew 13 and let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, for some of us these words of Jesus will be very familiar. For others of us they might be new. But we pray, Father, whatever they are for us, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us tonight from Jesus' words. Take my words, Lord, and may they be used for your kingdom. Amen. We're in this series of uh, sermons in Matthew's Gospel looking at some of the parables of Jesus concerning the kingdom of God. And tonight, uh, I want to bring encouragements to you if you, are, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus. It's always good to encourage one another, isn't it? But also, challenges that Jesus brings to those that seek to follow him. Because Jesus is a radical and challenging teacher. I think it was Karl Marx who said he is the most radical teacher that the world has ever seen. And of course, parables have been called earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Carson, the famous Christian writer, said, Thus the parables spoke to the crowds, do not simply convey information, nor mask it, but challenge the hearers. And so as we look at this passage tonight, we perhaps need to ask ourselves, well, what does Jesus want us as followers of him to understand today? Well, try to imagine what it must have been like to be in that crowd on the hillside hearing the words of Jesus. Or try to imagine what it must have been like if you'd have gone into that house as a disciple to listen to Jesus' explanation of his teaching. Because in this teaching, Jesus is showing us what it is to be a good pastor to a group of people. Because Jesus shows concern, care, compassion, but in doing so, he needs to warn his people through these stories so that today we too can benefit from them. And you will notice in this passage that we have just had read to us, there are three separate stories or accounts, all of them concerning the nature of the kingdom of God and the state of the world in which the followers of Jesus, such as we are, are living. And so as, as such, they are timeless. So who is speaking? Who's the narrator of these stories? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look, we're going to, uh, to concentrate on this main parable that is found in verses 24 to 30 and verses 37 to 43. But with all of them, Jesus starts each one with this saying, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by it? Well, there's a writer called uh, D.K. Lowry. He states this, the term kingdom seems to have a spiritual and a physical aspect to its meaning. The spiritual aspect was present in the ministry of Jesus when he was here on earth. Chapter 12, verse 28 of Matthew's Gospel says that. The kingdom of God is here, and that's when Jesus was there. 
But the physical consummation of the kingdom is the anticipation that Jesus will come again. And we see that in Matthew 19, verse 28. So the kingdom, as referred to here, was present. It was in the present, but it was also in the future. And the presence of Jesus brought in the kingdom. And so this whole story is set in present time for those people, but it also included the future. And so our walk with Jesus is in the present time today, but it's also grounded in the future. So please turn to verses 24 to 30. Now as we look at this, we see this story, we see that it is it's immediate for the people of the age because Jesus uses local examples of farming activities that the people of the time would have understood because the Jewish society was an agrarian society. Most people would have been involved in some way or another with farming. They'd have seen it every day when they stepped outside their houses. And for us, that might be a bit more difficult. So perhaps today, we need to look for modern equivalents when we come to share Jesus' teaching with people. Things that are known that can be used by people of our generation who are perhaps not so familiar with farming activities. But this story is given to people who were following Jesus at that time. So in verse 24, we've got the sower of the seed And the sower of the seed, we're told, is the Son of Man, Jesus. This is the work of the Son. Now, it's good to be reminded of this, isn't it? It's good to know that this is the work of God, which includes the Son and the Holy Spirit, to sow the seed of faith. So it's not our words. It's not man's thoughts or man's passions that we are trying to sow in our church and community. No, it must be the words of Jesus which will work in the hearts of people. And so when we consider our evangelism, when we consider our teaching, we need to be certain that we are using the biblical words of Jesus because the source of Jesus' words are only found in the Bible and we need to make the Bible the centre point of all our types of witnessing and teaching. Of course, the Holy Spirit must be present and fully involved because no one can become part of God's kingdom without the work of the Holy Spirit. We see also in verse 24 and verse 38 that the good seed in the field represents the followers of Jesus who are sons of the kingdom throughout the ages, including our age, of course. And so we see the importance of the kingdom here. Not only are the followers of Jesus on this earth, but they are part of the present kingdom and they will be part of the future kingdom. Again, this is a useful reminder to ourselves if we are followers of Jesus. We are part of God's kingdom now, here on earth now, but also for future eternity. I have seen this, uh, and this of course should lead us to have great joy. If we are part of the kingdom of God now and we're going to be part of the kingdom in the future, this should lead to great joy for us. What more could we want? Now, I've seen this, of course. I've seen seen this with people who are very poor. I've seen it with people where death is a daily reality. They show joy which comes from the inside, from their spiritual experience of of the kingdom. 
in Zambia recently. I saw this amongst people who were so poor. They had virtually no material goods. And in their daily lives, they saw death on every turn. The kingdom of God for them was a reality. And they expected God to keep his promises on a daily basis. And so we've got the good seed, God's people. And in verse 24, we see also we've got the field into which the good seed is sown. And the field here represents the world in which we learnt. Now note in this, uh, in this account, it's the whole world which will contain the followers of Jesus. The implication here, of course, is that Jesus expects that we are to live in the world. We're to be a part of it and not to be cut off from it. And so we hear, see here no reason for God's people not to be in the world, not to be separate from the world, living in protected communities. But having said that, we must be aware of what the world is like, which includes his church as well. And so in this parable, Jesus warns his people of the dangers of the world, which includes the evil one and his work, as shown in verse 25. Because as we go on to verse 25, we see that in the story, the enemy is Satan. And the weeds are the followers of Satan, those that don't follow Jesus. And Jesus uses this word, evil one, to represent the enemy who's trying to destroy the work of the sower, the Son of God. The enemy is introducing corruption into the field of good seed. Now, we're very fortunate here, aren't we, in Norwich. We live in an area where we can see fields of corn. Every August time, I'm I'm out on my bike and I see fields of yellow corn. And occasionally you see a little patch of greenery. And that greenery is usually weeds. The yellow is pure. The green is corruption. The question, of course, is where does the corruption come in? Is it just in the world or is it in a part of God's community, the church? Well, we know, don't we, that the world is corrupt and that we should try to be salt and light within the world if we are followers of Jesus. But we need to be made aware of the possible dangers for God's people. If it's in the community of God's people, does corruption enter through immorality, through incorrect teaching and theology? As we look through 2,000 years of Christian history, we can see corruption coming into the church in many different ways. But the point to note is that corruption has always appeared, is always divided and sought to bring down the gospel message of Jesus. So, we need to test ourselves. Is there corruption? Does it come about because we don't take seriously the word of God? Do we take the pieces of the word of God that we like, that fit into our culture today? But where the word of God challenges the norms and behaviour, do we then reject them? Or does corruption come in because we fail to follow Jesus with our whole being, including our time, our wealth and our skills? If we take only one point from this parable. Let's take this point, that there is an enemy out there who seeks to bring in corruption into the family of God by sowing seeds that look identical to the good seeds. So how can we recognise 
these seeds. What's the nature of the weeds that, the, that Jesus is talking about here? Well, the point to note is that they are indistinguishable from the wheat in the early stages of growth. Verse 29. Now, the commentators reckon that Jesus was probably referring here to a weed called darnel. And I'm afraid I don't know what darnel looked like, but I'm told by them that that's what it probably was. And darnel was poisonous, and if you ate it, it caused a drunkenness-type situation. And so, when the farmers cut the wheat, and they ground up the wheat to make flour, to make bread, if the darnel was amongst that, people became, uh, as it were, drunk. It had a serious effect upon them. But in our story, we see that the farmer cares for his field and crop and people, so he doesn't want to ruin the crop. He wants to care for the crop, and he wants to care for the young wheat, which in this story is the young Christians, the young followers within the field, which is the world. And so if Jesus cares for the followers of him, the implication is that we should care for one another and we should care about the effect of the weeds upon us individually and the community of God. Realistically, we need to acknowledge that the evil one wants to destroy the lives and faiths of Christians. As one of the speakers said this year at the Keswick Convention, the devil doesn't worry about the non-Christian because he knows that they will be with him in eternity. No, the evil one is concerned about the Christian, the follower of Jesus, because they're going to be with God for eternity. And so in our society, we see attacks upon Christian values, upon the family, upon marriage, upon Jesus' teaching and morality through the media, all trying to cause young and old to depart from the teaching of Jesus. In our passage, the evil one sows the weed seed in amongst the good seed. And by sowing the weeds, the evil one does all he can to corrupt the followers of Jesus, to divert them away from Jesus, if he can disrupt us and the church. Now, if you doubt what I'm saying, if you say, well, Nigel, you're being a bit extreme here, look in the New Testament epistles at the teaching of the apostles. Because if you look at the church uh, in, in the first century, you will see that they had many, many problems. They had, there was corruption, there was falling away from the gospel. And so we need to guard against this. We need to be aware that the evil one is still active in, a, in our society. And this is, of course, going against everything that society is saying because our society denies often the very existence of the evil one. Now, we need not to be scared by this or morbid about it, but we do need to be made aware that he is active today and will be until until Jesus comes to bring in his new kingdom. So what can we do? Well, the first line of defence, of course, for us is being aware of the evil one, being aware of what he's trying to do, being aware of the spiritual battles that each one of us face each day, because it is a spiritual warfare, and we need protection, and we need armour against this. I remind you of that picture that Paul gave us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes this to Christians... He writes this, he says, Finally, be strong, word there, strong, in the Lord 
and in his mighty power, the power of the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul recognizes the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying that the Christians are in the heavenly realms, they're in the kingdom of God, but there are spiritual forces who are also there fighting against that. And so Paul points us towards the armour that we can put on to defend us against the fiery darts of the evil one. And we see in this parable that Jesus cares for his followers. He cares for his church. And here he's giving a warning for all ages. Be careful. Avoid the wiles of the evil one. Remember, the world hated Jesus and will hate us too. And we need to be prepared for opposition in the world to us living as Jesus would want us to. To follow his teaching is challenging. It puts others in the spotlight. Jesus claims to be the Son of God. The only way to God is through him. That challenges the world and it challenges other faiths. And we are called to stand up for righteousness, for honesty, for treating others in love. And this will all challenge worldly values. And so Jesus shows us the importance in this teaching of caring and tendering the young crop of wheat so that we can be justified in our youth work, our children's work, and our discipleship course work. Because Jesus cares for the young. He cares for the young in faith, and so should we. So if the battle is tough, it's always a good idea to look at the end result, isn't it? If the battle's tough, it's always good to know the end result. If you've just done exams, for instance, and you started revision six months ago, it was good to know that on June the 23rd, you would finish that exam. Or it was good to know if you're an athlete that you started training and the race would be on a certain day. You are training for the end thing. And Jesus does the same here in this passage because he tells us of what the end will be. It will be a tough race, but look at the end. So turn then in your Bibles to verse 39 to 43. Because in these verses, 39 to 43, we see the reality of the end time for the followers of Jesus. That is the harvest of the wheat, the righteousness. So Jesus gives us in this parable warnings concerning what's happening now in the present, but also what will happen at the end of time of judgment. He warns us that there will be a time of judgment, a time of separation. Look at verse 29. There will be a time of harvest. The harvesters being the angels of God. Verse 40. The harvesting will include the pulling up of the weeds and the burning or destruction of the weeds. The angels will be sent out to weed out everything that causes sin and all who do evil. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? It's hard stuff. It will be an active process. It will cause weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is the reality that Jesus, as a pastor, is telling his people. 
He wants them to know the reality of what will happen. And so we are warned of what is to come. Now often I find in my own life that I'm not living with the reality of this judgment at the end of uh, in my life. I don't live with the reality of it because if I did, it would inspire me to share the importance of Jesus' death to all my friends, colleagues and family. Because it's Jesus' death and resurrection that has enabled us to face this judgment and to have the hope of righteousness. If we are followers of Jesus, can we not consider what Jesus is saying to us this evening? As we consider the good seed and the weeds and the destruction that's going to come at the end. So what should we do? What can we do with this difficult and challenging teaching tonight? Well, I'd like to leave you with three things that I think we can practically do within our own lives. Firstly, and it's, this is not rocket science, uh, we can pray, can't we? We can pray for, to the Holy, for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment concerning what's happening within the world which, uh, which we have to live in and which the church we are part of. We can pray that the Holy Spirit can show us the tares, show us the weeds. And we can pray that we should know what to do as followers of Jesus as a result of the situation, whatever our situation is. So we can pray. Secondly, we can study God's word, the Bible, so that his words become a part of our lives. We can learn God's words so that they are part of our thinking. We can use hymns and songs so that praise has become part of our daily lives. And we can use Jesus' words to share the love and death of Jesus with our friends, colleagues and family. We can use God's word. But thirdly, and I think most importantly, if we're going to identify uh, weeds, we can test what we're hearing, can't we? We can test what people like me are saying from the pulpit. We can test what is happening in the church. The only way we can do that in a changing world in which we live is to follow the way of Jesus, to keep constant with what the Bible says. Of course, we know that there are disagreements about interpretations of Scripture. But we can actively seek the Holy Spirit's guidance concerning what is correct. We can read commentaries. We can look at church history. Remember that over the ages, other ages have made mistakes as well as our own. We can try and learn from the saints of the past by reading their accounts of their lives to see what discipleship really means. But you might well say to me, Nigel, why should we do this? Well, surely, because Jesus loves and cares for his followers. Remember Jesus' teaching. What does, what does the Father give his Son? Good gifts. The encouragement that we've got tonight is that Jesus wants to give us good gifts. He wants us to walk in his ways. And so he has promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit to inspire and to teach us, to guide us through the difficulties of life, to help us to see the weeds within the world that we live. Don't be frightened of the weeds, but do identify them and do pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance that we can live in love with each other and in love with Jesus. Remember, this is a challenging message 
But God loves us and God provides a way for his people to come through the earth to flower as true disciples of him. Amen.